I have been among them, answered Aragorn. They are proud and willful, but they are true-hearted and generous in thought and deed, bold but not cruel, wise but unlearned, writing no books but singing many songs after the manner of the children of men before the dark years. They have long been the friends of the people of Gondor, though they are not akin to them. It was in forgotten years long ago that Eorl the Young brought them out of the north, and their kinship is rather with the bardings of Dale and with the Bjornings of the wood, among whom may still be seen many tall and fair, as are the riders of Rohan. At least they will not love the orcs. I am Danny J. And I am Joel N. And together we are Keep, Keep on, on Tolkien. And welcome back, everybody, for part two of season five. Yeah, and you know what this is, right? What? Uh, well, no, no, let's get into let's get into a little bit of what we've been at. Let, let's, let's do a little cliffhanger. Sure, yeah. So part two of season five. We took a break in between just because there's a lot been going on recently. Yeah. What have we been up to? So in the off season, uh, I guess personally for me, there was uh, me and my wife Mal went on our honeymoon. Yeah, they went to Mexico. We went down to Mexico. We found a cheap way to get down there and back, so that was pretty nice. Um, and then we got back from Mexico and we <laughs> What happened up- then? <laughs> So actually, we brought back some E. coli from Mexico, we found out. And then a handful of days after getting back from Mexico, we also got COVID. I got it too. Yeah, we all, we all got we COVID. We all got the COVID. <laughs> we all, yeah, yeah me, and, me and Mal got back home and we're like, let's have everyone over to hang out. And then we all got COVID together. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's... As it, as it were. So COVID plus E. coli at the same time, not fun. That's what Joel was doing. Yeah, that's that was uh, the majority of my off season. I actually <laughs> only started feeling better within the past like week or two. Yeah, he's still on the mend. Well, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty good now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? Uh, what's your off season? Um, like? just surviving COVID was one of the big ones. I've been playing with my nephew outside a lot. He likes to run through the sprinkler. So Oliver. That, yeah, he's Oliver. a ball of energy. Yeah, we get ice cream a lot too. He's spoiled. And then, uh, yeah, just getting ready for, you know, just gearing up for KOT. You know what I mean? Staying sharp. You know, there's something else that's pretty exciting that's happened in the off season too. Maybe hmm. a good time to mention. We've What's got that? some KOT oh. t-shirts. KOT shirts. KOT shirts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so if you guys want your own very own t-shirt, we have several designs available. Um, you can go to keep-on-tolkien-podcast.com t-mill that's t-e-e-m-i-l-l dot com yeah there'll be a link to that in the description go ahead and check it out we got a few t-shirt designs we've got up there and we do plan on adding more to the roster more t-shirts and maybe even other kinds of merchandise so go check out the store yeah we had a good time designing those t-shirts yeah this is a very exciting time for us now that we can actually like mass produce and share yeah this t-mill merch with the world this t-mill website seems pretty cool so get your kot merch now yeah but today, what are we going to get into today? So today, on the uh, second half of season five, this whole... The whole damn thing. The whole second half, all six episodes coming up here, including today, are all going to be 
Rohan centric. Yeah, Rohirrim centric. We never talk about the Rohirrim. Yeah, we after doing this for what almost five. We're in our we're into our fifth season now. We realize we've been very light very. on our Rohan content. In fact, only Eowyn episode exists. I think that's it. Yeah, and we mention people here and there, but otherwise, here and there. but otherwise, yeah, we we really haven't given any attention to Rohan. And, I mean, granted, sure, they are just a kingdom in the Third Age, but still, there's so much information. Oh yeah, out and there, it's never covered by the the lay people. They don't know this stuff, so let's, no, yeah, yeah. So, part two, of season five, all six episodes, we will be talking about Rohan, the history of the kingdom, their battles, and their leaders and some of their heroes. Yeah. Rohan's history was one of conflict and war. Whether it was the orcs of the White Mountains, the Dunling Dunlindings to the west, or fucking Saruman and Isengard. Yeah, Saruman. Constant warfare. Constantly, yeah. Saruman may have been one of the biggest threats they had. Yeah, fuck that dude. Asshole. So let's let's uh, start off with some basic names for the kingdom itself. So we've got names and titles for Rohan. Uh, some people call it the Mark, the Ritter Mark, the Mark of the Riders... There's, of course, Rokan, which is a Rohiric version of the Elvish word Rokand, which means horse land. Uh, of course, there's old Kalinarden, which is the Gondorian or the Numenorian word for it. Uh, and then Rohan, of course, which is Sindarin for horse country. Yeah, and some names for the peoples of Rohan. They're called the Rohirrim, most commonly, which is Sindarin for horse lords. The uh Aerolingus, which means the followers of Aerol. Did I say that correctly? I think so. Cool. Uh, and then, of course, the Aeothade, which means horse people. That's my favorite, I think, the Aeothade. Mm. Yeah, so in order to really cover the kingdom of Rohan properly, we really have to go back in time a little bit and talk about where their people originated from. And to do that, we have to talk about the Aeothade as a people. Mm-hmm. Well, the Aeothade, of course, they originated from a race of the Northmen who flourished in the Vales of the Anduin and later the Northern Mirkwood about Third Age, 1856 to 2510. Yeah, so just in general, the Rohirrim and, and their people, they're all very Third Age-centric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's one can, of the yeah. later kingdoms of men. They kind of break away from this 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 proto-group called the Northmen, mm-hmm. and they all become, by the Third Age, you got a bunch of different groups based on these guys. Yeah, so during this time in the Third Age, the Yadane occupied part of Ravanian, uh, the lands east of Greenwood the Great, and west of the Inland Sea of Ruin, and south of the Kelduin. Uh, so some in Gondor believed that the Aeothade were descendants from the House of Hador. In the Aeothade, uh, they uh, gleefully accept this belief as their own, which uh, strengthened their friendship with Gondor, because they're like, hey, yeah, that is us. Yeah, we're kind of like distant... Yeah, uh, we're cousins here. Distant cousins, sort of. Yeah, so they, they loved that, you know, giving some camaraderie to their relationship. Yeah, they're, uh, they're kin, technically. Yeah. Yeah, so the Northmen of Ravanian, they were men of the House of the Hador, and uh, they were men of the House of Hador who actually decided not to join the Edain and Beleriand far back in the First Age. So they kind of set, they're, they're a little separate from the Gondorians in a way. Yeah, and that's what's interesting is they kind of had that same thing like with the elves when the elves were moving, they split. Mm-hmm. Right, so like these yeah. these men of Rovanian are the remnants of the House of Hador that never decided to go to Beleriand. Yeah, so th- there's a little more separation between the Aeothid and the Gondorians than I think they like they care to really acknowledge, but mm-hmm. th- they love the camaraderie there. Yeah, it, dude, it happened. It totally happened at the same place as the elves too. Yeah, that's where the Nandor split. Up. They looked at the Misty Mountains and they're like, mm. it's basically the same journey. <laughs> yeah. They're all yeah. going westward and they get to a line of mountains, and they're some like, of them are nope. like. Mm-hmm. 
no, we'll stay not. here. <laughs> we don't want to deal with that right now. Yeah. So these Northmen who would become the Aeothate, they were in fact more closely akin to the Bjornings and to the Men of Dale than Gondorians. Yeah. So these guys, they're considered to be part of the middlemen, who are not directly descended from the men of Numenor, the so-called high men. The Dunedain. The Dunedain, the men of the West. So they're not Dunedain, technically. But they also never serve Sauron, so they're good, they're clean. Yeah, they're so they're, they're somewhere in the middle. They're the, some of the good middlemen out there. They got a clean conscience, you know what I mean? So while never really united under one single king, the Northmen of Ravania nonetheless were allies of Gondor, as we mentioned, and many of the great princes of the Ravanian Northmen, uh, they and their kin would serve the armies of Gondor. Because of this, the ruling house of Gondor mingled with the Northmen during the reign of King Eldakar, which was 235 years, that's a long reign, from th- uh, Third Age 1255 to 1490. And some Northmen actually intermarried with the Dunedain of the South and were eventually considered men of Gondor. Yeah, so there was definitely a lot of ingl- intermingling between the peoples. Yeah. So in the late 19th century of the Third Age, after the Battle of the Plains, which was in 1856, the region of Ravanian was invaded by the group known as the Wayne Riders, and the people in that region were enslaved. To escape this fate, many of the Northmen fled Rovanian, some north to Dale and some south to Gondor. So that's where they kind of conglomerated again, a northern group and a southern group. Yeah, because of this invasion, now they're split up even more. Mm-hmm. So around this time is when a character known as Marwini, son of Marhari, leads uh, one such band of refugees north between the eastern bank of the Anduin and the western eaves of Mirkwood. So right between Mirkwood and the river, essentially, out in those nice plains. And along their way traveling here, they were joined by additional refugees who had fled through the forest. Yeah. And they ended their journey and settled down in these vales of Anduin between the Karak and the Gladden Fields. And uh, this is uh, just kind of where they set up their camp. Yeah. It's a beautiful part of Middle-earth. It really is. And this is where they became known as the Aeothaid. The Horse People. This was sometime around 1900 that they got this name. In the 1970s of the Third Age, which is kind of like just as uh, tumultuous as the 1970s in America. Yeah, the 1970s <laughs> and the Third Age of Middle Earth is kind of like the Wild West of the of Middle yeah, Earth. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like if you thought if you believed every movie you saw in the 70s was like how America actually was. That's what it'd be like, right? But that's kind of what it is like in, in Middle, in Middle Earth, Earth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So in the 1970s of the Third Age, after the downfall of the Witch King and his kingdom of Angmar, the current lord of the Aeothade, Frungar, sometimes called Fringor in some texts, led his people north along the eastern banks of the Anduin. Yeah, and there are really two main reasons for this relocation. Uh, one, they needed larger lands due to the growth of their group of people. And secondly, they were also becoming very concerned with the growing menace in Dul Guldur at the time. It really troubled them, and they, they wanted to get away from it. Yeah, so they went ahead, no yeah. good. Yeah. So they, they went ahead and moved uh, further north, and they settled near the sources of the Anduin and the southern edges of the Grey Mountains. Yeah, and the chief settlement was called Framsburg, which lay in the valley between the rivers Langwell and Graylin. And during their time in this far north region, the Aeothed and their horses multiplied, and they drove the remaining hillmen and orcs of Angmar out of that region. And uh, during this time is when Fram, son of Frumgar, slew Scath of the Dragon. Yeah. We've, we've mentioned that a couple times before. Yeah. That's, a fun a, piece that's a really history. cool story. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> a really cool story. This, of course, won Fram great renown and great wealth from Scatha's Horde. He also 
as in many uh, cases when it regards wealth. Right, Joel? Yes. <laughs> he earned the hatred of the dwarves of that region, who claimed the treasure of Scatha since it was the treasure that Scatha had stolen from the dwarves. Yeah, so as we know, dragons, they do that. And who hoards treasure other than dragons? Usually dwarves. You know. So dragons like to, uh, they have a, a track record of stealing treasure from dwarves. Yep. So if you ever st- come upon a dragon horde, there is a high likelihood that it is dwarvish treasure. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But yeah, so that that kind of pissed off the dwarves because they're like, I mean, this was our treasure. But uh, we've got a excerpt about this here. Thus Fram won great wealth, but was at feud with the dwarves who claimed the hordes of Scatha. Fram would not yield them a penny and sent to them instead the teeth of Scatha made into a necklace, saying, Jewels such as these you will not match in your treasures, for they are hard to come by. Some say that the dwarves slew Fram for this insult. There was no great love between the Aeothate and the dwarves. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No, the dwarves tend to piss off a lot of other races, it's true. The elves... The Aeothade. Yeah. I mean, even when Aragorn and, you know, the three hunters, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas, when they come across some Rohirrim the first time they set foot in the country, mm-hmm. and, you know... Gimli's the one talking shit to the Rohirrim. Gimli's getting all sassy, yeah. and, and you know, Aomer's not down for that shit. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not about to let this fucking, fucking dwarf. dwarf. He's like, I, yeah. what do you say, I cut off your head if it stood if a little, it stood further, a little from bit further from the ground. Yeah. They don't, they don't like dwarves much. Yeah. We're going to get actually more into the story in one of the future episodes in this run here, guys, in uh, Heroes of the Rid of Mark. Yeah, we'll talk a little more about Fram and Scatha, so stay tuned. Yeah. Now let's talk about something very important to the Rohirrim. Yes. And that is, of course, their horses. Like horse girls from middle school, they just love their horses, man. They lo- it's a huge part of their culture and just part of their heritage, too. All the way back to the Aeothade. It starts with the Aeothade, this love of horses. Mm-hmm. So about five centuries of relative peace and prosperity follow for the Aeothed in the north after they move up north. And they become a numerous people with many farms and horses, as we had mentioned. And this is uh, when they become known as the Horse Lords. And uh, the horses of Rohan, the horses of this region rather, they're renowned as being some of the best horses you can get. They're known for being fast and strong and having long endurance. Gandalf describes the horses of this region as, quote, There are no horses like those that are bred in the Great Vale between the Misty Mountains and the White. Boromir actually describes the, the horses of Rohan as, quote, They love their horses next to their kin, and not without reason, for the horses of the Ridimar come from the fields of the north, far from the shadow, and their race, as that of their masters, is descended from the free days of old. So in the year 2501 of the Third Age, this is when the current chieftain of the Aeothade, named Leod, captures a white foal in the wilds, a young white horse. And this horse would grow to great stature, but remain wild and was not able to be tamed by any man. When Leod decided to mount the horse, it bore him away from his stables and eventually threw him, whereupon Leod's head struck a rock and killed him. Instant death. Embarrassing. So Errol son of Leod, took up lordship of the Aeothid after his death at the young age of 16 years old. And because he was so young when he becomes chieftain, this is when he gets his name, Aeorl the Young. 
He was also tended to continue looking very young because of apparently his bright yellow hair. Yeah, never went gray, apparently. Never went gray. It was always that bright, bright yellow. But this is uh, how he gets his name, Aeorl the Young. And he's a huge part. Huge, huge character. Huge character in the history of the Rohirrim. We touched on him in the Unsung Heroes episode already. We did, yeah. 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 So Aeorl would grow up, would, uh, excuse me, he would go on to be the founder of the kingdom of Rohan. And it's, of course, his very first king and is the ancestor of what comes to be known as the House of Aeorl, which is the house of all the kings of Rohan. Yeah. The kings of Rohan have to be from that house. Yeah, all three lines, right, are from the king of... Uh, That's right, yep. Yeah. After uh, Aeorl took up the leadership, he was determined to find that white horse that killed his father, damn it. Yeah, and this is uh, this kind of leads us into the subject of the Mieras. This is this is where they kind of come into the history of Rohan. Them special horses. Uh, Errol eventually found and uh, confronted the stallion, but rather than slay it, Errol commanded that the horse give up its freedom and serve him as Weirgild for the killing of his father Laod. And the horse willingly submits and is uh, renamed Felorov. He's just like, all right, fair enough. Yeah, he's like, oh, okay. You know what, man? I'm sorry. Like you clearly got a lot of issues. You tracked me out here for years. I'm gonna just go ahead and submit to you. <laughs> you scare me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Fairloff would go on to become one of the greatest horses to have ever lived, and was said to understand the speech of men. And in later years, after the Aethid migrated south into the regions of Rohan, Fairloff fathered the race of horses nearly great as himself, that became known as the Mieras. And the Mieras, they were noble horses that lived as long as a man, had extraordinary strength and intelligence, and they could even understand the speech of men. Yeah, throughout the history, they would only allow themselves to be ridden by the Lord of the Mark or his sons. But of course, this long tradition was broken by Gandalf, who manages to tame the greatest of the Mieras, uh, Shadowfax. Shadowfax. We got a little uh, excerpt about shadow facts here. This is a good one. He bade me take a horse and be gone, and I chose one much to my liking, but little to his. I took the best horse in his land, and I have never seen the like of him. Then he must be a noble beast indeed, said Aragorn. True indeed, said Gandalf, and he might have been foaled in the morning of the world. The horses of the nine cannot vie with him, tireless. Swift is the flowing wind. Shadowfax, they called him. By day his coat glistens like silver, and by night it is like a shade, and he passes unseen. Light is his footfall. Never before had any man mounted him. But I took him, and I tamed him, and so speedily he bore me that I reached the Shire when Frodo was on the Barrow Downs, though I had set out from Rohan only when he set out from Hobbiton. And this is where we really got into it today, guys, with uh, the writing, writing of this outline. This yeah, is, uh, we, were, we were reviewing that, and we were like, hold on. Hold, yeah, we Context. were just like, hold the phone. We need to see how fast this horse is. Right, so, so he reached the Shire from Rohan by the time Frodo reached the Barrow Downs from Hobbiton. Mm-hmm. So th- that's that's so we we had to break that down into like time and miles. So yeah. So it's six hundred and twenty six hundred and twenty miles from where Shadowfax was tamed to Sarn Fort, which is the the border of the Shire. Yeah, and apparently Gandalf did that in five days time. That's an average of one hundred and twenty four miles a day. That's crazy. The on a horse on a horse dog. 
The average trail horse in decent shape can withstand a journey of about 50 miles a day. That's uh, about uh, 80 clicks for you uh, kilometer people. For our metric friends. Yeah, in one day. And while a fit competitive horse might have the endurance to travel up to 100 in one day. Yeah, double Maybe, that. yeah. Yeah, at best, like a super fit horse. So Shadowfax was just... Above and beyond even the fittest of horses that we would know of in the real world. Yeah, 124 miles a day over rough terrain. Yeah, like, yeah. that's insane. That's crazy. That's a fast and swift a fast horse. horse. Yeah, we found this whole article where uh, somebody had broken down by day. The this uh, They called this it the journey. Great Ride of Gandalf or yeah, something. Some, some guy was just uh, fascinated with this <laughs> mention of Gandalf's journey in this short of time. He's like, hold on a second. Yeah, and he had to map it out between every point, you know? Crazy, yeah, crazy yeah. shit. Well, then, the, yeah, the the Shire is a hundred miles from Sarb Ford. Yeah, or exactly. not the Shire, uh, Hobbiton. Hobbiton, is yeah. Miles so from. he traveled six and twenty miles to Sarn Ford, and then another hundred miles after that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, crazy shit. Gandalf and Shadowfax. Shadowfax is an amazing horse. Yeah. So this will bring us kind of up into the actual history of the foundation of Rohan as a kingdom itself. Yeah, and of course you can't talk about that. It's kind of a nation born of war, in a way. Right. Um, you got to talk about the Battle of the Field of Celebrant. Mm. And this was in the year uh, TA 2509. Um, Errol received summons from the steward of Gondor, Kyrian, pleading to help with as large of an army, um, with uh, with a large of army of particularly fierce Easterlings called the Balkoth. They had invaded the province of Kalinardin and threatened to overrun it. Yeah, Errol was, uh, he surprised even the Aaron rider from Gondor that brought this message by basically instantly agreeing to come to the aid of Kirion. You know, Gondor wasn't sure if he was going to, you know, come down to help him. The Aaron rider wasn't sure, but Errol was like, yes, do this. we will. And though Errol was very young, he agreed so quickly because he wisely perceived that if Gondor should fall, all the lesser realms of men, including themselves, west of the Anduin, would eventually fall as well. So yeah. he's like, we got to keep up our main defenses here. Our buffer zone against Mordor. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, he was all down about helping. So Aeryl gathered all the men of the Aeothed that could possibly be spared, leaving his own land at risk of invasion, and rode south to the aid of Gondor. Despite not having enough troops, Kyrian still decided to meet the Easterling army in battle on the field of Celebrant. I think he just kind of wanted to get away from population centers, so he was like... Yeah, at this point, Kyrian down in Gondor, he's like, we need to redirect this, this uh, terrible this blow. This invasion, yes. Uh, believing that there would not be enough time for the Aothade to help his army. So he's like making his last stand at the field. Yeah, he's Calibran. like, rather than destroying the city, let's just do a suicide mission out in a field. Out in a field somewhere, and hopefully enough people can escape and shit. Right. Kyrian's army was worsted, and all hope seemed lost... When an army of orcs came upon the flank of the army of Gondor, so now even worse, we're not even we're dealing with the Balkoth who are trying to actively take over your region, and then the orcs are just getting an attack of opportunity. Yeah, all of a sudden they're just jumping in on this, so it's looking very, very bad for Gondorian uh, Kyrian and his army. Yeah, but at this moment is when Aeorl the Young and his cavalry thundered out of the north, unlooked for and smashed into the rear of the Easterlings. Their arrival completely reversed the tides of the battle, and the riders of the Aothe drove the Balkath into the Anduin, saving Gondor's army. Yeah, this, this battle uh, so probably sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, we the, 
Yeah, did we cover this already? Well, it's just I'm just saying just the the general setup like Gondor's in trouble, they're going to fall and then oh, all of yeah. a sudden an entire huge group of Eothid unlooked for, yeah. unlooked for a, a horseman. I never realized that come this... from the north and obliterate. Oh my god, Joel, you just yeah, you just blew my mind. Yeah, this totally mirrors the uh Pelennor Fields. Pelennor Fields and like the Or rather Pelennor mirrors this since Pelennor comes later, I guess. And like after the battle of Pelennor Fields is when the re- friendship was renewed again. Yeah. Dude. Yeah, dude. Dude. Bing, bang, boom. <laughs> that was, yeah. You go next. You blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, so their arrival completely reversed the tides of the battle, and the riders of the Eothed drove the Easterlings into the Anduin, saving Gondor. And after this, Kirion realizes that the Eothed, as a people, need they need more room to flourish, and they clearly uh, deserve more respect. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, these guys. And that they would clearly make a very strong ally to Gondor in the future, especially against the growing threat of Sauron and the continued harassment of the Easterlings. So he's like, all right, here's a good ally. So in the year 2510, as a reward for their aid in the battle, Kyrian gives the Eothed the land of Kalinarden to live in. Which is basically the whole northern half of the Gondorian kingdom. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So or like it, a third of it, I Yeah, it's the yeah. far northern part of the Gondorian kingdom that basically gets all the way up to around the Misty Mountains mm-hmm. and, and that area and the Gap of Rohan and such. Yeah. Yeah, that area had uh, actually recently been depopulated by a plague. The plague? Well, we wouldn't know anything about that. No. <laughs> no. Fucking plague. <laughs> Ugh. So there's just this wonderful open country land up north, and Kyrion decides to give it over to the Eothed. And Eor the Young, he was so impressed and grateful for Kyrion's gift that he swore to the steward the oath of Eorl. Yeah, and if that sounds familiar, it's probably because we covered it in episode 58. That was Doom Trilogy Part 1, Oaths. Yeah, we love the Doom Trilogy, guys. Go check it out. Yeah, if you haven't checked out that Doom Trilogy yet, we're really proud of that. Yeah, check out 58, All the Oaths. Yeah. Uh, Errol actually sent his army back north for their wives and kin. Coming into the land of Kalinarden, the Eothade became known as the Rohirrim by the Gondorians, and they named their new realm the Mark of the Riders, and themselves the Aeolingus. And this is when Errol becomes the first king of Rohan. Yeah. And there you have it. That is the official founding. But, uh... The very beginning of the kingdom of Rohan. Now let's get some into some real nerd shit. Let's get into some geography. Yeah, so let's actually take a minute to talk about the plot of land that they just got. So the countryside of Rohan is described as a land of pastures and lush, tall grassland. The lands are frequently described as, quote, seas of grass. We've got a gorgeous excerpt uh, about this land. The ridge upon which the companions stood went down steeply before their feet. The east wall of Rohan... So ended the Emin Wheel, and the green plains of the Rohirrim stretched away before them to the edge of sight. At the bottom they came with a strange suddenness upon the grass of Rohan. It swelled up like a green sea to the very foot of the Emin Wheel. The falling stream vanished into a deep growth of cresses and water plants, and they could hear it tinkling away in green tunnels down long gentle slopes towards the fens of the Antwash Vale far away. They seemed to have left winter clinging to the hills behind. Here the air was softer and warmer, and faintly scented as if spring had already s- was already stirring in the sap was flowing again in urban leaf. Legolas took a, b- a deep breath. 
like one that drinks a great draught after a long thirst in barren places. Ah, the green smell. It is better than much sleep. Let us run. Yeah, the land always just sounds gorgeous. Yeah, the Rohirrim, like the, the the lands of Rohan, I I always wanted to visit those locations in New Zealand the the most. I think because like, like the mountainy places are like whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to hike up. Mountains. You can see mountains yeah. places, but like yeah, the, the the wide open grasslands of the Rohirrim. I need to see it. Beautiful. So Karen Winfonstad, whom we've referenced multiple times in the past, she wrote a wonderful atlas of Middle Earth. With uh, some of the most detail and most accurate detail we've come across. Yeah, it's our fave. And uh, in the Atlas of Middle-Earth that she wrote, uh, she calculated that Rohan is about 500, or excuse me, 52,763 square miles. That's uh, 136,656 kilometers squared. And uh, that's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty big country land that's slightly larger than England itself. Yeah. The kingdom is uh, primarily divided into two regions, the East Mark and the West Mark, and they are each led by a marshal of the kingdom. Rohan's capital is Edoras, which lies in a small but populous region in the center south of the kingdom, known as the Fold. Let's talk about the borders. Let's go all the way around this bitch and explain exactly yeah, for those where it is. For you geography nerds who really want to know, hey, tell me exactly, exactly where, where it is, dude. Tell me right where it is on a map. Here you go. Here you go, Kyle. <laughs> I imagine your name is Kyle. So Rohan is bordered to the north by Fangorn Forest and by the river Anduin called Langflood by the Rohirrim. To the northeast, it's bordered by the Emin Muil. Uh, after the War of the Ring, the kingdom is actually extended further north and northeast towards Lothlorien. To the east, the border is the river Entwash and the Mearing Stream, which separates Rohan from the Gondorian province of Enorian. To the south, the border is the White Mountains, and to the west, the border is the rivers Adorn and Eisen, where Rohan borders the land of the Dunlendings. To the northwest, just under the southern end of the Misty Mountains, lies the walled green circle of Isengard, and that's kind of the... Very close by. Yeah. That's like their neighbor, basically. Mm -hmm, yeah. The closest neighbor is Isengard. Well, because the Numenorians built Isengard to, like... Watch the gap, right? It was, well, it was, it was ha wasn't it halfway between North and South Kingdom at one point? Or something like that? It was, like, in the borders of the North and South I think Kingdom? That was, I think that was the, the idea. Yeah. But Isengard, yeah, it was originally built by Norman, Numenorians. Mm-hmm. So near Isengard, in the area where the Misty Mountains and the White Mountains drew near each other, is the region that we all know as the Gap of Rohan. Basically, the, the main way of getting from east to west. The Gap of Rohan. Rather than crossing the mountains, let's take the Gap of Rohan. The Rohirrim, they had, the Rohirrim, they had few cities, instead preferring to dwell in small villages or farms uh, near where the horses grazed. But the capital of Rohan is the most fortified town, and that is uh, Edoras, and it's on a hill in the Valley of the White Mountains. Yeah, Edoras is actually an old English word for enclosures. And the town of Edoras was built by Rohan's second king, King Brego, son of Errol the Young. Uh, the hill on which Edoras is built stands in the mouth of the valley known as Harrowdale, right near where the river Snowburn, uh, excuse me, Snowborn flows, and it flows past the town down on its way towards the Entwash. The town is protected by a high wall of timber, and outside the gates of town along the roads are um, the barrows of the past kings of Rohan. Yeah, these graves are known for being covered by a very specific flower native to Rohan called, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce it correctly, the Simbel Mune. I think you got it. Simbel Mune. 
um, and that is also known as Evermind. Um, it is also said that they blossom in all seasons year-round and that they grow specifically where dead men rest. Mm. It kind of reminds me of the Flanders, the poppies of Flanders Fields. Remember we used to, for Veterans Day, you'd buy the poppies, remember? I don't remember Those that. little paper poppies. Oh, sure, okay. Yeah, it's like a symbol of Flanders Fields. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, so at the center of Edoras, at the top of the hill is the Hall of the Kings of Rohan, known as Meduseld. Meduseld! And this hall is pretty cool. Yeah, um, and it's one of the most significant architectural achievements of the Rohirrim. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, you may know this is the place where Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, and Gandalf go to meet Theoden mm-hmm. in the uh, in the two towers. They got to unarm, they got to disarm to go in there, right. remember? Um, yeah, Metasild is a large hall that served as the house for the king and his kin, a meeting hall for the king and his advisors, and a gathering hall for ceremonies and festivities. It's a pretty much, you know, it's like the Metrodome used to be. Yeah, it's, it's the just, everything you hall. use it for whatever, yeah. Yeah, the real-life word Metasild is actually, or actually, I should say in real life, the word Metasild is actually an old English word for mead hall. And within the canon of Lord of the Rings, the word Metaseld is meant to be a uh, loose translation of an unknown Rohiric word that has the same meaning, mead hall. Mead hall, yeah. We were just talking about with uh, our friend Gordon from Scotland that we've never had mead. He said he might send us some. Ooh, that'd yeah. be fun. It's like made from honey, apparently. It's supposed to be sweet. Yeah, I've never had it. I, I would, I would uh, be very interested. I'd love though. to try some genuine. Yeah. Some good meat. Yeah, because I wouldn't know where to start as an American, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I have no idea. No idea. The building of Metasild was ordered by the second king of Rohan, Brago, son of Errol, and it was completed in the year Third Age, 2569. <laughs> so at the feast of the uh, celebration of its completion, Baldor, son of Brago, made a famous vow to tread the paths of the dead and goes on to never return. From yeah. the paths of the dead. Sorry. Yeah. A little fun fact about the uh, the celebration of the creation of Metacell. Yeah. A little sad, sad side story there. Yeah. They actually find uh, Brago's body in Return of the King, don't they? Yeah. When they um, take the paths of the dead during the War of the Ring, they find a um, <laughs> a body um, that is like mailed up and it's got like this it's got a saddle with him or a bridle with him or yeah, something yeah. still and yeah. it said he was like still clawing like at the walls yeah. trying to get out of the door or something yeah. scary stiff yeah because as we later learned in our research they broke his legs and left him to die right yeah so, some unknown someone <laughs> some unknown enemy assailed him on the on the paths of dead broke his legs and left, and left him, him to, to die. die fun sad shit yeah but back to Metaseld. <laughs> yeah Minnesota was known for its bright yellow thatched straw roof, which made it appear as if it was made out of gold when seen from afar. Yeah, and because of this, it became known as the Golden Hall. Inside the hall, the roof was held in place by rows of richly carved pillars, and the floor was as rich as the rest of the hall, carved and inlaid with colored stones. I love the, the description of the colored stone floor. It always sounds yeah. so cool. Yeah. Uh, to one end of the hall stood a dais on which sat the throne of the King of Gondor. Or, uh, the king of Rohan, rather, <laughs> rather, king of the Mark. And in the center of the hall was a great, huge fireplace. And uh, the ceiling of the hall was actually described as having lovers to basically help remove the smoke from this massive fireplace. Oh, Levures. Okay. Levures? Yeah, I'm not sure how to say that word. Levures, Levures. French people, let us know. <laughs> um, <laughs> the walls of the hall were richly decorated with tapestries 
depicting the history and legends of the Rohirrim as well. And the doors of the hall were richly carved with creatures that bore jewels for eyes. And outside of those doors stood a, a pair of gold pillars. And uh, we got a little excerpt from Joel about this. Speak, Legolas, said Gandalf. Tell us what you see there before us. Legolas gazed ahead, shading his eyes from the level shafts of the new risen sun. I see, white I see a white stream that comes down from the snows, he said. Where it issues from the shadow of the vale, a green hill rises upon the east. A dyke and mighty wall and thorny fence encircle it. Within the there rise the roofs of houses, and in the midst, set upon a green terrace, there stands aloft a great hall of men, and it seems to my eyes that it is thatched with gold. The light of it shines far over the land. Golden, too, are the, po are the posts of its doors. There men in bright mail stand, but all else within the courts are yet asleep. Edoras, those courts are called, said Gandalf. And Mediseld is that golden hall. There dwells Theoden, son of Thengal, king of the Mark of Rohan. Yeah, Mediseld is uh, actually believed to have been based off of the Mead Hall from Beowulf. Beowulf comes up again. Yeah, and uh, that, that hall was called the, the Hairot. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of Beowulf inspirations with Tolkien. And they they know that this is people are pretty sure this is based off of Beowulf, especially since uh, Tolkien included a line that Legolas says that's a direct translation. Yeah, just the, lifted straight from Beowulf. Just yeah. lifted straight from Beowulf. <laughs> yeah. So Legolas describes Mediseld in that excerpt uh, as he says the light of it shines far over the land, which is a direct translation of the Beowulf line. Oh, can you pronounce that? Um, I can try like an asshole. Let's do it. <laughs> you, you be the asshole. Yeah. Lixte se Leoma Ophra Landa Fella. Yeah, I the speak, light I speak of regular English, so I suppose it's the same way I to pronounce it's it. Similar, yeah, the light of it shines far over the land. Yeah. So some cool Beowulf inspirations thrown in there. Let's talk a little bit about the people of the Ro of, of the region, yeah. the Rohirrim. Yeah, we got the founding and some geography. Let's talk about those people. That's that's a huge part of any kingdom is the people. Yes, of course, because without it, it would be... It wouldn't be a kingdom. Uh, yeah, it would really be just uh, empty buildings and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the Rohirrim were tall, blonde, and mostly blue-eyed people. The men were large, husky, and handsome, while the women were particularly beautiful. They were heroic, noble, brave, strong-willed, and fiercely independent, uh, remaining within their own language and culture. And uh, we've got a excerpt, a description of the Rohirrim here by Aragorn. What do you know of these horsemen, Aragorn? asked Gimli. I have been among them, answered Aragorn. They are proud and willful, but they are true-hearted and generous in thought and deed, bold but not cruel, wise but unlearned, writing no books but singing in many songs, after the manner of the children of men before the dark years. They have long been the friends of the people of Gondor, though they are not akin to them. It was in forgotten years long ago that Errol the Young brought them out of the north, and their kinship is rather with the bardings of Dale and with the Bjornings of the wood among whom may still be seen many men, tall and fair, as are the riders of Rohan. At least, they will not love the orcs. True enough. They fucking hate orcs. Yeah, fuck orcs. 
So the Rohirrim's entire culture, as we mentioned before, was pretty much all based around breeding and trading of their horses. And oh, their yeah. horses were very, very important assets in their daily lives. Oh, yeah. Uh, for example, the term uh, Riders of Rohan and Riders of the Mark are commonly used to refer to their mounted soldiers. Their soldiers often used horses as a huge part of their army. Oh, yeah. And they highly, they, they highly valued the Vala Orome, the hunter whom the Rohirrim call Bema. Bema, the hunter. And the Rohirrim had few cities, as we mentioned. They uh, usually dwelt in small villages and farms near to their horses because their horses were such a large part of their culture. Oh, yeah, you got to be near grazing lands. Yeah, so let's jump into a little bit of their military. Uh, so the Rohirrim's military was commanded by the marshals. Uh, the first marshal of the Riddermark was the highest military rank and commanded the muster of Edoras. Uh, the muster of Edoras being basically the riders that protected the capital of Edoras and the surrounding lands. Yeah. Uh, in his youth, King Theoden had led the riders of the muster of Rohan himself so that there was no need for a first marshal. <laughs> He's just like, I can do this. I got this. I'm bored in here anyway. Yeah. A man, a man can only drink so much mead, you know? Yeah, dude, fucking King Theoden, he was all about getting shit done. During the War of the Ring, apparently there wasn't even a first marshal just because that was the basically King Theoden. Yeah, and uh, the second and the third marshals, they had no fixed duties, and their roles often changed according to the needs of the time. Yeah, the second marshal of the Riddermark was based around the area of Helm's Deep, and the third marshal of the Riddermark was based uh, out in uh, Aldberg and in the Fold. The Fold. After the War of the Ring, a new rank called uh, Marshal of the Eastmark was created by Aylmer for Eastern Rohan. Yeah, after Aylmer becomes king, he creates that, and he names the first rider as Marshal of the Eastmark to be uh, his old lieutenant, Elfhelm, who is fucking awesome. Unsung hero. Unsung no more. Um, Under the marshals uh, were the riders of Rohan, and the riders were divided into 100 Aorids. Yeah, in a single full Aored is defined as 120 horsemen, including its captain. So that means the full muster of the riders of Rohirrim with all of their Aoreds was at least 12,000 strong, if not many more. How many hooves is that? Uh, 12,000 times four. I don't know what the answer to that is. Hold on. We can do this. We've got 444,000, right? It's uh, 12,000 times 4, 48,000. We could have done that in our oh, heads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're old now. Our brains are mush. Uh, what's one plus two? Uh, yeah. Calculator. I can remember all this Tolkien shit, but I can't remember basic math. Yeah. <laughs> 48,000. Yeah. That's a lot of hooves a lot trampling of hooves. the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this, that 12,000, that doesn't even include their levied infantry, the people on feet, on foot. Yeah, such a on feats. Yeah, such as those uh, soldiers that Urkenbrand led at the Battle of the Hornberg. So we know that they have levied infantry. So oh, they yeah. just they're all about their military. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some real life inspirations for the Rohirrim. Yeah, I thought this was some interesting information. Yeah, the Rohirrim they strongly resemble the ancient Anglo-Saxons, who uh, partic- Tolkien was particularly obsessed with. Oh yeah, yeah, he <laughs> studied that shit. He studied their languages. In the Anglo-Saxons, they were a Germanic people who invaded and conquered Britain around the 5th century AD. Yeah, they're basically comprised of the Angles, the Saxons, and the Utes. 
Jutes? Jutes, I think. Because I think isn't the Jutland Peninsula named after them in could Denmark? Be. Yeah. Could very well be. Your yeah. your geography and history is usually a little better than mine. <laughs> I don't know if you... Yeah, I might be fucking that up. I don't know. But Jutland, yeah. Like. Yeah. As we mentioned, Tolkien, he was a distinguished professor of Anglo-Saxon language and Old English and things like that. So that 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 was just his whole life. Yeah. And so the fact that the Rehum resembled the Anglo-Saxons is not terribly surprising. No. Yeah, and yeah. they resemble the Anglo-Saxons in many ways. Mm-hmm. First of all, in appearance, the Rehum are fair-skinned, mostly blonde-haired and blue-eyed. Just like the, Sang- just the like Anglo-Saxons. The Anglo-Saxons. Uh, they have a lot of cultural similarities, like, uh, for example, the type of armor the Rehum use. They're warriors. Uh, they're usually male of some kind, both chain or scaled male, and they also have a strong reverence for the sword. Yeah, they're a blade culture. Yeah, very much so. You know, the sword is an expensive and yet very, very symbolic weapon that's usually given names and passed down throughout generations. So there's a, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Uh, Rohiric armies are also known to favor the shield wall, which was a common strategy employed by the Anglo-Saxons. There you go. Um, finally, common names given to the people of uh, Rohan tend to resemble old English names. Yeah, for instance, like Aomer. Uh, yeah, that's found in the Beowulf saga, and his name means horse famous in Old English. <laughs> famous for, for, for horses. He's really loved horses. He's famous amongst the horses. They love him. Mm-hmm. Love. Horse love. <laughs> horse love. Uh, so there is actually one aspect of the Rohirrim that is distinctly different from the ancient Anglo-Saxon tribes, and that is essentially the, the Rohirrim's affinity for horses and beasts of warfare and their superb use of cavalry. That is very unlike the Anglo-Saxons. Right. Who were uh, the Anglo-Saxon footed, tribes. Sure-footed yeah, people. Yeah, predominantly foot soldiers. So let's talk about uh, the language. We would be remiss to not talk about language. Right, yeah. The, the, the language is big part of their their culture and their kingdom always is yeah and uh, the rohirrim uh they spoke rohiric which descended from the language of the eothaid yeah it's very akin to the language of the northmen of ravania naturally that's where it came from but it is also somehow related to adonaic the language of the numenorians which i found fascinating yeah and that may have partially been why they figured they were somehow distantly related yeah because maybe like during the days of the northmen when they were intermingling with gondor maybe adonaic was spoken as a you know language up there trade trade language yeah exactly that's who they're probably going to end up trading with so yeah exactly um and we got a um excerpt here from joel Um, And it's a Legolas quote, because Joel loves Legolas so much. Then Aragorn began to chant softly, in a slow tongue unknown to the elf and dwarf. Yet they listened, for there was strong music in it. That, I guess, is the language of the Rohirrim, said Legolas. For it is like to this land itself, rich and rolling in part, and else hard and stern as the mountains. But I cannot guess what it means save that it is laden with the sadness of mortal men. Yeah. In comparison to Westron, which is the common speech, Rohirric was mostly archaic and was not easily understood by the speakers of Westron. However, the hobbits, on the other hand, oh. the hobbits are known to share many words and uh, linguistic roots with the Rohirrim. Reference back to episode 36 of ours, where we talk about hobbits. Oh, yeah, great episode. Yeah, we get a little bit into this, uh, how a lot of the hobbits' language came from the Aeothade because hobbits originated from the Vale of Anduin uh, back around the time that the Aeothade were also there. Yeah, look at that. 
Yeah, so and it's known that at one time the hobbits and the Aothed did have contact with each other. It's in the history of the Aothed. They they even have uh, words for hobbits. Yeah. And uh, as a result of this intermingling, the uh, many old words and names in Hobbitish are derivatives of Rohiric words. That's fascinating. Yeah. The 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 Rohirrim even had their own word for hobbits, Holbitla, which means hole builders. Hole builders. Yeah. I love when uh, Theoden dies. He says to Mary, "Farewell, Master Holbitla." Yeah, super sad. Yeah, we've got a little excerpt here about this. Already I have seen many marvels since I left my house, and now here before my eyes stand yet another of the folk of legend. Are these not the halflings that some among us call Habitlan? But I will not deceive you. We know no tales about hobbits. There are no legends of their deeds, for it is said that they do little and avoid the sight of men being able to vanish in a twinkling. Yeah, some some really fun little bits of uh, shared history between uh, the hobbits and the Rohirrim. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why Mary and Theoden like bond so quickly. Yeah, some cultural similarities. They like talking about similar things. Yeah, and yeah, they have, that was they th- they love talking about shit, and, and like, they have yeah. similar versions of uh, respecting each other and nature as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the lords of the Rohirrim would use Westron, the common speech, you know, when they're not using Rohirrim. Uh, they would basically speak uh, Westron in a very gracious, noble, and antique manner, very similar to the way the Gondorians did, because that's essentially where they learned their common speech from. Sure. Uh, when the Rohirrim would write, they didn't often write, but they uh, wrote using a managed, ver- a managed version of Kirth runes. Um, but ultimately, the Rohirrim did not have much written literature, having a strong preference for oral tradition. Yeah, they were all about songs and, and uh, you know passing things down through word of mouth. So next we'll just kind of touch on the royalty of Rohan. They had a pretty extensive line. There were three different lines. Uh, The first line had nine members, beginning with Aerol and ending with Helm Hammerhand. Don't even even bring it up, dude. Dude, Helm is such (laughs) a cool fucking character. We're actually going to talk a little more about him in a little bit here. Yeah, Helm Hammerhand is great. So the second line began with Freyloff. And went for uh, eight kings all the way down to Theoden himself up in the Third Age. Yeah. And then uh, after Theoden's line unfortunately died off because Theoden's son died, the third line began with his nephew, Aomer. And that brings us right into the Fourth Age. After Aomer, we know there was another king named Elfwine. But uh, that's all that we have for the leaders of Rohan. So let's get into a little bit of history here. And with history comes what, Joel? War. War. So let's talk about the war with the Dundlings. Yeah, this is one of the first major wars of the Rohirrim. And in fact, this is uh, what we understand to be the subject of the coming War of the Rohirrim animated movie. Yes. When I say animated, I should say anime, actually. Anime. It's it's anime. Yes. And I'm actually really excited about this movie, you guys, because I think that this subject like, so cool. would fit an anime style so well. Yeah. And I think it's going to be gnarly as fuck. And I'm, hoping. I'm really excited about it. I'm hoping so. I almost have more excitement for that than the series. Honestly, me too. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I have a lot more faith that they're going to do a really cool job with the War of the Rohirrim anime than this whole series. It's it's such a cool subject, and just making a Tolkien-related anime just uh, is such... This seems right. It's a unique idea, and it yeah, it feels so right. Yeah. 
So the war with the Dunlendings. Uh, to the west of Rohan lived the Dunlings. Dunlendings. They were a native people who had been hostile against Rohan and Gondor for a long time. Yeah, and after Gondor's former province of Calanarden was awarded to the Aothed for their service during the Battle of the Field of Celebrant, the Dunlendings were driven out of that region by the Rohirrim. Yeah, this new, this new kingdom of people. And this um, caused the Dunlings to kind of see them as like usurpers, and it, they developed a deep hostility to the new arrivals for stealing their lands. Yeah, they saw that as, as their land, if it was going to be anyone's. Yeah, I mean, they were living there. Yeah, they were They living. have a decent claim to yeah. the land in that they were living there. Yeah, they were more or less the natives <laughs> there. So, naturally now, the Dunlendings frequently raid Rohan and were always a source of trouble for the region. However, there did come a time when the Rohirrim and the Dunlendings learned to live side by side in a time of relative peace. Fun. In the uh, 28th century of the Third Age, a man known as Fricka, who had both Rohirrim and Dunlendish blood, rose in power among the Dunlendings and became their leader. Yeah, and in the year 2754, this is when Frecka, drunken with pride, they said, is uh, he boldly rides to Edoras with a force of men behind him yeah. to attempt a, like a forced meeting with the King of Rohan at the time, known as King Helm. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love Helm. And uh, Frecka began making demands to the king, to King Helm, that Frecka's son Wolf, Wolf, should be <laughs> wedded to Helm's daughter, which would no doubt give Frecka and his family power. Clearly a power grab. Yeah. 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 It's not about love. Clear to everyone, which is probably why he rode with a force behind him to sort of help persuade. Yeah, per- be a little persuasive there. Yeah. So naturally, this just infuriated Helm, and he refused and insulted Frecka in front of his men. Don't yell at me in front of the men. So humiliated, Frecka flew into an angry rage and nearly started like a bar fight right there in the hall. And, you know, this just escalated further, and eventually Helm finally meets Frecka face-to-face outside of Edoras out in an open field for eventually, you know, a showdown. And after insulting him further, just talking more shit, uh, Helm struck down Frecka with a single blow of his fist, killing him instantly. Yeah, this dude is, yeah, he's known for doing this, too. It's not the the only time he does it. No, man, this is like his thing. (laughs) Yeah, and still furious, even after killing Frecka, Helm goes forward and proclaims all of Frecka's kin enemies of the kingdom of Rohan. Well, let's fast forward to four years later in 2758. So striking him down, that's when he got the the Hammerhand name, right? When he killed Frecka? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's yep. what, so after that, he gets he the name Helm, Helm Hammerhand because he just fucking beats the shit yeah, out of people yeah. with his fists. One punch, man, right? Uh, yeah, four years later in uh, 20, uh, 2758 of the Third Age, this is a time when Gondor could not help the Rohirrim. Wolf led an army to Rohan and took the capital of Edoras. Yeah, during a time when they, they're they not going to get any backup. Uh, so Helm fled Edoras at this time and uh, fled for the mountain shelter known as the Suthberg, also called the Hornburg, the place we know later to become Helm's Deep. Yeah, I wonder who they named it after. Yeah, I wonder who. who. Um, unfortunately, Helm and what was left of his people were forced to flee to the shelter of the Hornburg. And after a long uh, and terrible winter fell upon the northern uh, of the north of Middle Earth, it affected both sides, obviously. Quite severely, yeah. yeah. So in the Hornburg, Helm and his uh, loyal remnants endured 
a never-ending siege. Not only that, but this siege uh, lasted throughout what became known as the Long Winter. Yeah. The Long Winter was an extremely cold and long-lasting winter, covering Eriador, Dunland, and Rohan. And it went from November of Third Age 2758 to March of 2758, which is hilarious. Uh, to 59, rather. Uh, to 59, excuse me. Which is hilarious because that's Minnesota's winter. Yeah, a five-month winter. Yes, that is our fucking winter. From November, even October, maybe even. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To March, maybe even April. We've had our winter last from like mid to late October into uh, April. We've even had snow in May one time. Oh, yeah. We had snow. Um, I remember when I was uh, in between seasons when I went up uh, north for a little bit. Grand Marais had ice storms. Yeah. This is, this is in May. You go up by the big lake. And or it was June 1st, I think. It was June 1st. There's still ice up yeah. there. But I mean, it's not a, it's not a competition, I guess. It's you not know, a competition. It's, it's not a competition. We, you guys. Just saying that we would have survived the long winter just fine. Well, it's also known that not only being five long, months long, but the long winter was also particularly brutal with cold, particularly cold weather and lots of snow. Yeah. So, I mean, five months of particularly brutal winter is going to be pretty rough on anyone. Sure. But uh, we will actually talk more about the long winter in more detail in the future. We're uh, pretty determined to do an entire episode about that subject. Yeah, because a lot of shit happens throughout the rest of the North um, in this time period, too. So that's not going to be during this uh, six-episode run. That'll probably be next season, in season six, we guess. Yeah. But uh, during this time, during this long winter siege, this is when Helm and his people mount small counterattacks frequently. Uh, but in time... You know, just being held down in the Hornburg for so long, uh, his sons and all of his followers either died in battle, died from the cold, or straight up starved to death. It was... Straight the fuck up, starved to death. It was a disaster. Like, they, they went for the shelter of uh, the Hornburg, and it's true, like, it, no one was going to break through that and get to them, but they were stuck. Yeah, all winter. What are you going to eat? Yeah. Exactly. And they eventually they all died off. It was really tragic. Yeah. When the long winter finally ended, uh, Freilof Hildeson, Helm's nephew, came down from Dunharrow with a small force and retook Adaras. Yeah, and this is when Wolf is slain and uh, soon all the remaining enemy forces were driven out of Adaras with the help of Gondor and uh, whose forces could now come to their aid. Yeah, just like normal. Mm-hmm. Let's get into uh, a, 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 a big event that we might know as the War of the Ring. Yeah, you guys might have heard of this before. Might have heard of it. A little something. Yeah, so after that after that war, that pretty much brings us to the next war. <laughs> next war? Up on the list. Next war. Uh, yeah, so let's get into it. Yeah, so around uh, 2960 of the Third Age, this is when Star Saruman really starts to harass Rohan. And in uh, 3014 of that age is when Saruman begins using his influence actively through the traitor Grima Warngtongue to uh, weaken King Theoden using some some of his, his snakecraft. Witchcraft, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is also around this time that rumors begin to spread that the Rohirrim pay Mordor in tribute with horses. Yeah, I found that apparently some suspect that that rumor was started by... Saruman to help weaken. Oh, to that help would not surprise me at all, sir. Yeah, to help weaken their standing in the region and make it easier for him to yeah, take over. Because when the three hunters meet um, uh, Aomer, they mention that we heard that you pay horses and pay horses to Mordor. He's like, yeah, I've heard that lie too. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. No, hell no. And then Aragorn even says he doesn't believe it. Like Boromir yeah. says he doesn't believe it. 
And Aragorn says, I don't believe it any more than Boromir believed it. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty nasty rumor, and some suspect it was started by Sauron. Yeah. That makes sense. That would sense. make total that's, sense. That's his kind of manipulation. His kind of bullshit, yeah. 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 Though, despite these rumors, there have uh, never really seemed to be any doubt that the Rohirrim are good people through and through. Uh, and then we got a quote. Uh, what is this from Gandalf, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this is going to be read by Joel, so here we go. Are men of Rohan still to be trusted, do you think? I asked Gwahir, for the treason of Saruman had shaken my faith. They pay a tribute of horses, he answered, and send many yearly to Mordor, or so it is said, but they are not yet under the yoke. But if Saruman has become evil, as you say, then their doom cannot be long delayed. He set me down in the land of Rohan ere dawn, but in Rohan I found evil already at work. The lies of Saruman and the king of the land would not listen to my warnings. He bade me take a horse and be gone. Then, said Aragorn, it grieves me more than many tidings that might seem worse to learn that Sauron levies such tribute. It was not so when I last was in the land. Nor is it now, I will swear, said Boromir. It is a lie that comes from the enemy. I know the men of Rohan. True and valiant, our allies, dwelling still in the lands that we gave them long ago. Damn, I love that Boromir is ready to, like, step to it. Just like, I'm, yeah, no, the Rohirrim are, they're dope. Like, Yeah, Boromir is ready to throw no, down. Yeah, he's ready to throw down about it. No, hell no, that's a lie. <laughs> no, these, yeah, these are my brothers. We fight and battle together. In TA 3019, that magic year, Saruman launched a full-scale invasion of Rohan with victories in the early battles, such as the Fords of Aizen, where um, Theoded's son, Theodred, was killed. Yeah, Saruman was later defeated in the Battle of the Hornburg, where the tree-like Hurns came out of the forest of Fangorn and helped completely wipe out any of Saruman's forces that had survived the battle. On the heels of this victory, Theoden rode with an army to Minas Tirith and helped break its siege in the Battle of Pelennor Fields and killed the leader of the Haradrim. Yeah, and like we mentioned earlier, this battle really, uh, the, the setup for this battle and the way that the Rohirrim come unlooked for yeah. and, and, and change the tide, very similar to the Battle of Celebrand, which is the battle where they first really became friends. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty cool. Unfortunately, at the Battle of Pelennor Field is also where King Theoden famously dies, uh, being killed when he's attacked by the Witch King and his horse falls and crushes his body. Yeah, sadly. Sadly. Uh, you can see a little more information about that in our last episode, 61, The Witch King of Angmar. Yeah, super popular episode. Thanks for making it so popular, guys. Yeah, thanks for listening, folks. We, we love it. We love you. We do. <laughs> <laughs> King Theoden was then succeeded by his nephew Aomer, beginning the third line of the kings of Rohan. And uh, Aomer becomes known as Aomer Eadig, or sometimes Aomer the Blessed. During the reign of Rohan, he recovered from the hurts of the war and became rich in fruitful land again. I love Eadig, like Eadig. 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 Yeah, that sounds like a greeting. Or We're going to be going to the movies later on. Eadig. Eadig. That's a good name. <laughs> Uh, so Aomer also rode with the armies of Gondor and the remaining free peoples to the gates of Mordor and took part in that final battle with the forces of Sauron. That that battle that we know was a distraction, the Battle of the Black Gates. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's when Sauron was defeated and the ruling ring was destroyed. A wonderful point in time and a turning point in history. Yes. 
Though after the War of the Ring, the rule of the stewards of Gondor was finally ended and uh, returned to the king of Gondor. And yes. this is when King Aomer and the new king of Gondor, Elisar, Aragorn II, this is when they renew the oath of friendship between Aeorl and uh, Kyrion, and uh, they reaffirmed the grant of Kellen Arden to the Rohirrim. At this point, I feel like that's kind of a moot point. Are you really about to take away the entire yeah. kingdom of We Land want it back. Yeah, the steward made that deal. Bad deal. Sorry. Bad deal. <laughs> Get us out of that bad deal. We're taking your land back. <laughs> But I mean, I, I get it. It's all about being it's friendship ceremonial, and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's ceremonial. And uh, I, I really love the relationship between the two kingdoms. It's great. Yeah, it's really cool. Oh, one more fun little fact about uh, Rohan. Uh, this is a, basically at the end of the Third Age going into the Fourth where there's no longer any information about anything. But uh, sometime during the Fourth Age, after the downfall of Sauron, this is when Gimli leads a party of dwarves from Erebor into Rohan to the glittering caves over in Helm's Deep, they known as Aglarond, and they settle there and they like carve out the caves, yeah, the natural they, yeah. caves, and they like hallow the beauty of the caves. And I think doesn't uh, Gimli also he isn't like that, serves as their lord? He yeah. serves as their lord, and then isn't that also where he keeps the three strands? Yeah, of, I would imagine so. Yeah, because that's like his new house now. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where he keeps brings his three strands of Galadriel's hair and that's where he encases That's a jewel them in. beyond all reckoning of value. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's essentially like Silmarils 2.0. Yeah. Three jewels with her hair that has the light of the trees in them. Pretty cool. So yeah. those those rest there in the glittering caves in Rohan. In Rohan. Yeah, so that's uh, that's about all the history of Rohan that we've got for you today, folks. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the history of the Kingdom of Rohan is actually more fleshed out than we ever thought it was and it's very complete. Yeah, we found out doing uh, going through and making this episode that there is a lot of yes. information, particularly for it just being a kingdom that popped up in the third age, right? Yeah, and not didn't wasn't in the second. Didn't age. have an ancient history. It or didn't anything, have an ancient yeah. history in the second or first ages. There's a lot of history about mm-hmm. this kingdom, and we think that the Rohirrim they don't get enough credit for their strength and resilience, at least honestly from us. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're a very they're a very honorable like kingdom and race of people, and uh, we really this one part of the reason why we're doing this yeah. whole second run this pay six, respect six episode stretch of Rohan. Yeah, pay respects. So yeah, guys, get get ready for more Rohan. Um, you'll hear it about it for the next what, five weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the next five episodes after this, man. So strap your belts. It's gonna be some good shit. Yeah, coming up next, we got lesser known battles, Rohirrim edition. Yeah, we've had uh, a lesser-known battles episode in the past, but now we're going to be talking about some battles All of the Rohirrim that you might not know about all the time. So tune in next week, folks. Yeah, thanks for listening to KOT Podcast. Make sure you follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at KOT Podcast if you want to follow me. Um, I'm not too active anymore, but I'm at Danny J KOT. Yeah, and feel free to follow us on Facebook if that's more your thing. That's facebook.com forward slash official keep on talking. Also, while you're there... Join the KOT Talk group. We uh, tend to have some fun in there sharing memes and just talking and chatting around. Yeah. And uh, follow us on Instagram at Keep On Tolkien Podcast. And you can also find us wherever you get your pod- your uh, your uh, podcast. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or anywhere else. Just go to your podcast subscriber and forward slash Keep On Tolkien. Stay up to date on all of our new episodes. And also, uh, be sure to uh, join that Discord server. We have a lot of fun on the Discord server talking to you guys all all the time. It's uh, 
my during the week ritual is to just go and answer and fuck around on yeah the i'd say discord. the the discord server is probably our most frequently uh, trafficked at this point too there's yeah there's a good amount of information we talk a lot about this the series coming up too yep yeah our, our amazon series thread is pretty fucking cool you should check it it's out bumping and we'll yeah we'll add an invite to the um the uh link the description here yeah there are very some very thought-provoking conversations that have come up on the discord I've yeah really i really enjoyed enjoy it, it. I really enjoy it a lot. And it's the easiest way to talk to us because we're always on Discord. We're always on Discord. (laughs) Hands down. Just even in our personal lives. Um, But yeah, Uh, thank you for giving to the Patreon. You guys are heroes. That whole last fucking run was funded by you guys, just so you know. Yeah, absolutely. Our patrons, a huge thank you. Without you guys, we wouldn't be able to do this, literally. And if you want to uh, check out our patrons, www.patreon.com slash KOT podcast. Subscribe to Patreon and help support us because we are a 100% DIY podcast and it all comes out of our pocket except for what you guys donate and that helps so goddamn much. It, it really does. It really helps supplement for us. It helps us bring new content and helps us try to keep up the same quality that you come to expect from your podcasts. Yeah. And uh, subscribing on Patreon can unlock some exclusive content, some little fun bits from us. Also, we've had people contact us about doing... Uh, one-time donations. If maybe subscribing on Patreon isn't your speed, maybe you're not going to be able to keep up with a regular monthly payment, that we absolutely are willing to do one-time donations as well. Yeah, that's fun as well. Thank yeah, you go for ahead, that. Go ahead and shoot us an email on social media or however you like. Uh, we have PayPal along with all your other basic uh, money lending services. So yeah. connect with us and we can definitely get something Make it happen and thank you so much if you do consider doing that. And also, don't forget to check out our new merch at keep-on-tolkien-podcast.tmill, that's T-E-E-M-I-L-L.com. Yeah, and we're going to be definitely adding more t-shirts to that over time, and maybe even some other types of merch, so keep your eyes posted. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I think we've been, uh, people have been asking us about t-shirts for what, like five years now? Yeah, forever. Yeah, for, for friggin' ever, and like, because we had our run that we made for that convention. Mm-hmm. But we never made a, a solid run for anybody else. Yeah, so well, they weren't really ever openly available. Yeah, there's a total, I think, in existence of 13 KO t-shirts out there. Somewhere out there in Somewhere circulation. Somewhere out there, yeah. We personally own probably the majority. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I am and have been Danny J. And I am Joel N. And as always, folks, keep on Tolkien. Out into Luva.